The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, it's been a minute. We have been slacking off. It's Davo. Glad you're along for another edition of your dish on Clubhouse Conversation. As I'm joined by Clubhouse Conversation insider, Mr. Jake Lutz. Jake, I got to say, we have not been totally slacking. You've been very busy in your life getting yourself a brand new puppy. But I myself, my dad has had uh, quite a bit of health issues, as you know, Jake being one of my best friends. So, you know, I I apologize for lack of interviews the last few weeks and content, but family does come first. uh, So I'm sure everybody understands that. But how are you doing this afternoon, Jake? Everything going well? Yep, doing well, Dave. How are you doing? Not bad. What's your new dog's name, by the way? What kind of dog is it? His name is Louie, and he's a uh, miniature golden doodle. Louie, I like that. He's, uh, he's keeping me busy the last couple weeks. Did you For name? Sure. Did you name him after former 2009 Royals infielder Louis Hernandez, aka Luis Hernandez? <laughs> I did not, but uh, that, that is a good comp right there. I bet. Uh, I bet about two people listening know who Luis Hernandez was. <laughs> former Baltimore Orioles infielder had a little cup of coffee. Jake, so did Tug Hewlett that year. Remember Tug Hewlett? Yes, man, <laughs> I sure do. The sad thing is I'm doing this off the top of my head right now. I believe also that your Jay Miller, who it was spelled like Jai, but Jay Miller may have made a September call-up that same year. Lenny DiNardo, I don't know. How do I remember this? What is wrong with me? Wow. Okay. Anyway, let's get back on track here. We're off to a roaring start. We have a lot to talk about, Jake, and a lot of it's not going to be about, you know, in the, the past several years we really break down the games of the previous, you know, week and, and look at the upcoming week. Let's be honest, Jake. There's only about six or seven things to really talk about with this current bunch if you're talking about the big league roster. But actually, this week, we've got a lot to talk about. They're 23-54 and 54 are the Royals, so 31 games under 500. They currently have the worst record in all of baseball by a half game over Baltimore as the race for Bobby Witt Jr., the probable number one pick next year, is on between the, the Royals. The Orioles got a shot. We know uh, the White Sox are even still in this race. Jake, Cincinnati, <laughs> an outside shot. We'll talk more about uh, where the Royals stand in their quest for the number one pick a bit later. But let's talk about the thing everyone seems to be talking about the last 48 hours, and that's Luke Heimlich, the Oregon State lefty. Jake, I'm assuming you're familiar with this story, correct? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, well, here, here's the deal for everybody listening. I'm pretty sure everybody knows the Luke Heimlich story, but real quick, before we get to our opinion and talk about this, some background in case you don't know. So as a 15-year-old in 2012, Heimlich pleaded guilty of a felony charge of molesting his six-year-old niece. So he was 15 years old, uh, six and a half years ago, and did plead guilty, I think it's important to remember, of a felony charge of molesting his six-year-old niece. Now, He has said ever since then, ever since the court ended, that he has been innocent. He's maintained his innocence ever since that day. Um, He says he pleaded guilty only because he was told it would be easier on the family. It would make things go away uh, a little bit quicker, make things less messy for everybody involved. He now says he wishes he wouldn't have pleaded guilty and wishes he would have gone with a different lawyer and listened to different advice from somebody else because he says he's innocent. But he did plead guilty to this. So uh, it's important to know he was 15 years old. His niece was six. Um, it's also important to note that the Oregon State program is firmly behind him. It seems that his uh, his case managers and, and people throughout the court system, the juvenile system, have given him good reports as well, Jake. Now, on the mound, these numbers are like video games. Last year, 2017, 11-1 for Heimlich, a 0.76 ERA, struck out 128 
and 118 and a third. And then this year, he did get lit up in the College World Series this year. But the regular season was 16 and 2, Jake, with a 2.80 ERA this year, 154 Ks and 125 and a third for the Southpaw. So this is such a tough question because. You can't look at this as purely baseball, Jake. And I know you're also a huge Kansas City Chiefs guy. And some people have kind of compared it to the Tyreek Hill situation. Um, when he was 22, of course, the domestic abuse with his girlfriend, who I believe was pregnant at the time. So bo- both are extremely, um, extremely um, terrifying um, and, and, you know, heinous crimes. I think we can both agree on that. Uh, where are you at on this, Jake? I mean,. Uh, the, the article came out that the Royals are looking at signing him. It seems as though they're the first team to publicly confirm it. Dayton Moore did say they're looking at him and, you know, that the Oregon State does train and surprise, so he knows the Oregon State program very well. Where are your, uh, where are you at on this, Jake? I mean, I, I think that Dayton Moore and his staff, you know, how much they preach character, they're going to look into this guy more than probably anybody in baseball. They're not going to bring in a guy that, you know, they typically don't bring in guys like this who have a background or something, you know, that it's a red flag. So if they, I think they're going to go fully through the process, and if they're interested and they think that, you know, that um, that he's he's good, that he's innocent since he said he has been since he was 15 years old and just said he was given, you know, bad legal advice or whatever, I think Dayton Moore, you got to trust Dayton Moore on this one. I think if they believe fully that he's a, you know, a good guy and that he's fixed, I think they absolutely should go after him because the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, he would have been a high draft pick if it wasn't for all the legal issues that he's had. Yeah, probably a first or second rounder last year and this year, both years. I don't know to answer my own question, Jake. I don't know where I'm at on this because, okay, so take away baseball for a second. So from a societal standpoint, right, I mean, there's throughout a life, we all make mistakes, right? We all uh, as we mature, hopefully learn from them and don't repeat them. And uh, and some people, you know, do worse things than others and have to go through the legal system. And, and hopefully they're rehabbed and they grow from it and they, they move on. There, You know, there's a, a, a decent majority of people that will uh, relapse. But there's also a very good amount of people who heal from various different crimes. Now, with that said, I think you and I both agree that any crime towards a child is amongst the worst possible things in existence. It's just, you know, it's, 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 oh, absolutely. it's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. So it's just, it's on one hand, I feel like the Royals are a, a public, you know, they're a community organization that the fans support that are, they're a, uh, something of pride. And, and, and I do think some people have been joking and saying, well, the Royals are so anti-pornography with their off season and very conservative. So it, it's odd that they would even consider this, but, like you said, Dayton Moore is a person whose faith is very important to him. He believes in second chances, and as he said, sometimes third chances. He believes in helping people out, giving them a chance, letting them grow. So I, I guess, Jake, the question is, like, you could say, like, for a professional baseball team, maybe somebody that did a crime like that, whether he did it or not, he said he was guilty. So, I mean, the, 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 or sorry, he pleaded guilty. So, to me, he's guilty, right? Because the court said he, right. was, he was guilty. So. Whether he's innocent or not, to me, doesn't matter at this point because he pleaded guilty. So here's what it comes down to to me is where is the line for what he can do or somebody like that 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 does a crime like that? That is a horrible crime, but so is beating a 22-year-old girlfriend who's pregnant. So is assaulting or attempted murder or some of these things we've seen guys in other sports come back from. Even guys in baseball, we've got domestic abusers that are back in the game. Um, You know, Rawls Chapman, Reyes, on and on. But it just... 
where is it, Jake? Like, what what career? I thought it was. I think it was uh, Sam Mellinger a couple of weeks ago wrote an interesting column about Heimlich. It's like, what is somebody that does that? What job can they do? So, if if, if we deem it's not okay for him to be a professional baseball player because it's kind of a community type thing representing a city, what can he do? Like, is he only allowed to work at Seven Eleven? Is he only allowed to work at McDonald's? Can he be a construction worker? Like, that's the question you have to ask, right? Especially if somebody has gone through the correct healing systems and done all the classes and the counseling and has been clean for that long. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just such a tough, a tough right. question. Oh, it absolutely is. Because you think about it, yeah, any, any job he applies for the rest of his life, that's going to be, you know, right there for them to see. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, baseball is, you know, maybe one of his only chances to be really successful in life. So it's just a matter of, you know, whether a team like the Royals or maybe another baseball team is going to give him that second chance or whether they think he deserves a second chance or not. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's it's just, you know, I, I hear the guy, I, I hear that he says he's innocent, but again, to me, it doesn't matter. You pleaded guilty, I have to believe your brother, you know, and the poor little girl, I've got to believe him, you know? So to me, he's guilty, so I don't know, Jake, I, I just, I, I'm glad I'm not making the decision. I, I would probably gun to my head not sign him, to be honest with you, just... You know, knowing that you know 29, 29 other teams have passed on him thus far. I mean, do you think somebody will sign this guy eventually, whether it's the Royals or somebody else, or do you think it's in question at this point? I mean, I would say it's definitely in question since nothing's happened yet. Um, I, I don't know. I, if I if you, I would guess probably sixty to seventy percent chance. I would say he probably gets signed by someone at some point. It's just a matter of. I think teams are probably still just trying to figure the whole thing out, trying to figure out if he actually is worth giving that second chance or not. I think everyone's kind of just doing their homework on them and figuring out what they should do if it's worth the risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the last point on this is just you have to ask yourself at some point, what crimes are you okay with? Because there's so many guys in sports or in different careers that, you know, I mean, people still have to work and make a living, right? I mean, we can't, I mean, yeah. someone makes a mistake. You can't just the last 80 years of their life or 70 years just say you're going, you know, you can't work the rest of your life. Like, I mean, I don't know. It's just such a tough story. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think I think if the Royals are going to sign him, it'll happen shortly. I mean, to me, this is going to happen pretty quick or it's not going to happen. Um, so I don't know. We'll yep. see, Jake. I guess you and I are both, in summary, going to trust Dayton more and don't have a strong opinion either way, maybe leaning towards not signing him. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, if, obviously, if I was in charge, I, w- I wouldn't be signing him. But, again, I also trust, I trust Dayton more and his staff. I trust that they'll do their homework here. Absolutely. All right, so let's get to on-the-field stuff, which is what baseball is all about. So several things have happened the last few weeks since we last spoke with you. The John Jay trade is so old that people have already analyzed that so much. Let's kind of, you know, the John Jay trade was was a positive for the Royals. Came out of nowhere. I think you and I both were surprised by it, but both pleased with the return for that. But I want to talk about the Kelvin Herrera trade quite a bit here, Jake. So what the Royals receive, and by the way, thank you, Jake, for breaking it to me. I was driving to a movie when you when you texted me, so I ended up move, missing the movie. Um as I looked into it, but yeah, the Royals received the Nationals' 10th and 11th or 11th and 12th ranked prospects, depending on who you go by. And uh, Calvin Gutierrez, who's a third baseman by trade, Blake Perkins, a center fielder, and they also picked up a lottery ticket, 17-year-old right-handed pitcher, Johans Morel. So, Jake, when we look at this trade here, so Gutierrez, 23 years old, um, he's called big league ready defensively right now by most, including a scout that I talked to that saw him this year with Harrisburg. Um, but the bat supposedly, and the stats will will show you, is way behind, right? So you look at, uh, I mean, you look at his offensive numbers this year at Double A, seven oh seven OPS and Double A. That's not going to play. 
um, obviously. Six home runs. Does have 11 steals and 12 attempts. I have read an interesting comp to Joe Randa, which would be you and I, I think, both agree he's one of the most underrated Royals in recent history. So that would be a hell of a, of a get. Any, any quick thoughts on Gutierrez before we talk about the other two guys? I mean, yeah, I, I, I was hoping to see, like, when I looked at his numbers when the trade first happened, obviously we haven't seen him play in person, but I was a little disappointed there wasn't more power, more pop coming off the bat for him, because especially he's a pretty big guy, isn't he? I thought I saw he's like six foot yeah, three. Yeah. So you would expect a guy like a third base in that to show a little bit more power. He just hasn't shown much in the minors, but I think they're hoping that maybe at some point that power is going to develop. Yeah, it, it'll need to, obviously, because you can't play a corner spot in the big leagues now without power or without being able to drive the ball a little bit at least. Now, he is capable of playing other places on the diamond. Obviously, you and I still haven't seen him play. I do have a trip to Arkansas coming up here in the next few weeks, so I will get to see him. But as of now, we have not seen him, so it's tough to, to say too much. I know he does play some first base and some other places throughout the diamond. So defensively and speed-wise, he's probably big league ready right now. The question is, will he hit? And as Dayton Moore said, you know, the same things people asked about Escobar and Kane. Now, depending on who you ask, Escobar never hit, although he did actually have some decent hits. You know, you know by the way, Jake, that he's second all-time in Royals history postseason hits. Did you know that, Escobar? <laughs> I did not. That's I, amazing. Somehow I forgot about that or didn't know it until like last week, and I read that, and I, I read it like three times. I'm like, really? So, I mean, yes, yeah, so overall, Escobar's never really hit, but he's hit fine for what he is, which is a shortstop, especially in his prime. Now, defensively now, I think you and I both agree he's probably a league average defensive shortstop at this yeah. point. But, you know, the first few years the Royals had him, he was one of the premier shortstops defensively in the league. So what he was hitting, and, and he could run back then, too. His first, People forget that his first few years. So, you know, Dayton did say that, though. You know, people weren't sure if Kane and Eskey would hit, and they did. And, and that's true. I mean, they knew they were going to run and play defense, and that's kind of the same thing with Gutierrez. And then Perkins, the next guy we want to talk about. Now, he's a 70 runner and defender, so extremely athletic. He's just 21 years old. I do like Jake that he was a second-round pick of Washington, yep. just 21. Now, again, he's in high A ball. The, the offensive numbers have not been there. It's been brutal. 634 OPS, only one home run, which I believe actually was with Wilmington, his first home run of the season. Uh, 13 steals and 18 attempts, so he's going to steal 25, 30 bags this minor league season. Defensively and, and offensively, or speed-wise, he's ready. Your thoughts on Perkins? Yeah, that's basically what I read, uh, read about him as well. He's supposed to be a plus defender. He's really quick going to be able to steal some bags. It's just a matter of whether the bat's going to come around or not. Yeah. And obviously, he's 21, he's young, he's a former second-round pick, so he's got time still to develop into a hitter. And you hope that that can come around because, yeah, with that athleticism, obviously in our ballpark, that definitely can play very well if he can get the bat going. And I, and I think what it comes down to is you just hope that you hit on one of these two players, right? One of them needs to turn, oh, yeah. one of them needs to turn into an everyday uh, big leaguer. Just one or the other. The, the chances of them both... You know, becoming regular, everyday, long-term big leaguers probably aren't great, but there is a pretty good shot one or the other will, you know, as far as what their ranks. The fact that they're both already big league-ready defensively and can run wide, one of them is going to hit enough to play in the big leagues every day. So, you know, if one of them turns out, Jake, I think it's a win. And then we haven't even talked about Morell yet, the 17-year-old righty. We know basically nothing about him. He's only pitched in two professional games. Uh, throws 97, 98 at times. I believe he was 92, 93 when they signed him, and he's already added like five miles an hour. He's 17 years old. Lottery ticket? I mean, you like him as a throw-in, I'm assuming, right? Oh, absolutely. Anytime you can get a 17-year-old who's you know, throwing in the upper 90s, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a good sign that you have that to work with and develop over the next several years. So, I mean, there's not a lot out there on him yet, and it's obviously going to be time will tell whether he'll be, you know, turn out. But that type of arm, um, you know, you definitely – the ceiling is definitely high there for him, what he could turn into. So what do you give this trade overall then? I mean, 
are, you know, like on an A to F scale? What are, you, what are kind of your thoughts on this? You know, I, I'd probably give it a, a B, maybe even a B plus, just because, you know, you look at, for a rental like Kelvin Herrera, you look at, compare it to like last year, what, you know, the market was, which was not good for players, like a player like J.D. Martinez. Uh, a lot of the experts were comparing this trade to that, saying that we got at back about the same routine, uh, return, if not maybe even better than what uh, the Tigers got for J.D. Martinez. So you got three prospects for Herrera, you know, for a four-month rental. And I think Dayton Moore and his staff thought that this maybe was the best deal that they were going to get, and that's why they pulled the trigger on it this early. Um, you know, I, I think it's a decent deal. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. I think if one of these guys turns into an everyday major leaguer, we're going to be, you know, very pleased with the trade. But, uh, you know, time's just going to tell. But I, I'm I'm happy with the move, I think, overall. 100% agree. I give it like an A-, minus, just because, and some people said, and, and justifiably so, I can see the argument of, well, you know, just a, a day later we had, what, the four days after that, two more closers went down. I think one was on the paternity list or something, but one got hurt from punching a door and everything. So, you you know, and there's always going to be a need for back-end bullpen guys. So, you know, some justifiably so said Herrera is probably the top piece available. Why did the Royals trade him so early for this? Some people think it's an underwhelming because the bats aren't there yet. And Dayton did respond and say, well, when we got Kane and Esky, people didn't think they were going to head either, and they did. We love the players, and we got the extra players because we traded him so early. Maybe Washington said, you know, we'll do it now for these three. If you want to wait till the deadline, we're only going to give you two pieces. So it's your call, Casey, you know, so – Washington's going to want the extra, you know, the extra, the extra five or six weeks of Herrera is huge, Jake. I mean, that's oh, know, that could easily, easily, you know, be a win or two that they get extra that they wouldn't have had without him. And, and as you and I both know in that race, there they're tight with Atlanta and you know trying to compete in the, in the National League to go deep in the playoffs. Every game is is very important. So um, you know, and I don't know. The other side of it, Jake, is that. I mean, people seem to forget people. He's not a Robles Chapman. People seem to think, I mean, he's had a great career, but let's not forget the last year, Jake. I mean, we, we were, well, you, yeah. you and I had a conversation that we weren't even sure if we'd tender him like last August or so. <laughs> he was struggling so yep. much. We thought he was maybe hurt. I mean, I know you and I were considering, you know, we thought they probably should and would ultimately tender him, but we weren't even sure about that. So, I mean, Jake, in his last outing, you know, Salvi came out and brought the trainer out. And, you know, last year we saw that a couple times with him shaking his hand and people thinking he was hurt, but then he, we found out he wasn't. And then the opponents accused the Royals of just taking him out because he wasn't pitching well and faking injuries. And the same kind of thing happened his last outing. He didn't look good. Do you think Dayton Moore got spooked? And, and do you think that did play into a little bit to it, the injury and, and the recent past? I think it definitely could have. I mean, yeah, think about that. If you take a chance and try to keep him until the deadline and then he goes down, you're going to get nothing for him. So I think maybe Dayton saw this deal, didn't think he'd probably get anything better, didn't want to take the chance in case there was a possibility of an injury and moved him now, which, you know, if we do see injury struggles later this year for him, it would end up being a huge win for us, obviously, with that trade. Right, right. So overall, we both like that trade. Now there's another Herrera that we've got to talk about. That's Roselle. Herrera. Jake, I mean, this is – we were talking at the top here about the Royals' record, and I said there's only about five or six reasons to really watch this club right now, and that's not an exaggeration. you got your Brad Kellers. You've got your Mondeses that we'll talk about in, in a bit, and your Junises, and, and Roselle Herrera's up there. I mean, this kid – I mean, here, here's the deal. Let's talk about this, Jake. So, first of all, he single-handedly – well, you can't say that, but he really did Basically. it for, for one <laughs> inning win a game. I mean, you know, the pitching was fantastic, so you got to give some credit where it's due. Um, it's a Duffy, but I mean, <laughs> he robs a home run. Then he comes back and, and belts a triple to get the winning run in. I mean, Rosel Herrera, just 25 years old. He can literally play anywhere up the middle or on the field, basically, except for catcher. He can play second, short, center, anywhere in the outfield. Um, 
So he's a switch hitter, 25 years old. Now, here's the red flag, Jake. You get a guy like this with 70 speed and an enthusiasm for the game who's just 25, who was a top 100 prospect, by the way, in all of baseball, which is huge, in 2014. For those listening right now that don't know, the Royals coming into this year didn't have a single minor league player in the top 100. That will change by the end of the year. But he was a top 100 prospect uh, in 2014 um, with the Rockies. So but the question is, Jake, three organizations in 18 months, he came up with the Reds, got about, I think, 20, 20 ABs or so, and they DFA'd him. So and the Reds are awful. So you got to think if he's worth anything, why would they DFA him? Of course, why would JD Martinez have been DFA'd by Houston? I'm not comparing him to JD Martinez. He's not even the same player. I'm just making a point that sometimes useful guys do get DFA and you get lucky. Did the Royals get luck on this guy, or is this kind of be one of those Paul Orlando type things when he hit all those triples when he first came up and looked like a a regular player and you know kind of fizzles out with time? What do you think about Herrera? I mean, it's, it's looking good so far. I mean, I, I think it's something that we definitely – I'd like to see him in the lineup pretty much every day the rest of the season because I would like to see what this kid can do over a full, you know, 162 games with the Royals. As When you watch, you know, you know, he's athletic. He can play all over the place. He looks like he can swing pretty good bat from both sides of the plate. So you wonder why, it's, you know, he's been through so many organizations and maybe he just hadn't put it together enough and – we hope that maybe at least, if nothing else, he can be a good utility player on this team in the future if he's got all these this different skill set. But I'm excited to see him, especially after him. I mean, he really was kind of single-handedly took over that game the other night yeah. <laughs> at the end with the Robin and the home run and the triple. So I'm excited to see him play the rest of the way. I, I would like to see him in the lineup every day to see what he can do. So do you want the good news or bad news about his minor league numbers first? <laughs> Let's go with the bad news. Okay, bad news first. 735 OPS in 825 minor league games. Obviously not impressive. 735 is, you know, very mediocre. 136 steals, was caught 57, which is not a great percentage, about two out of three, 45 home runs. But would you like the good news? Yes. Let's look at the last two years, which is the more recent sample. Last two years at AAA is a bit better. The 735 OPS in his career, but the last two years he's 774 at AAA. You start getting around 800 at AAA with the kind of player he is with his defense and speed, that'll play. You know, if you can hit in the mid-700s the way he OPS-wise, the way he can run and, and the passion he brings, that will play in the major leagues if, of course, he can do that. But, yeah, 774 the last two years at AAA with seven home runs. And, Jake, he's been a lot better stealing, more like a 75% success rate. He's 26 out of 34 and steals. So I, I, you're right. I think the good thing about this year, he only has 40 big league plate appearances, by the way. But the good thing about this year is you can play a guy like this, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. He should be out there every day. I mean, there's no reason he should be playing six, seven days a week right now with this team. You know, you need to see what you got in him. Put him in different positions. Put him all over the field. He needs to be hitting, you know, regardless of whether there's a righty or lefty on the mound. You need to see him from both sides of the plate. You know who I don't know. I just came up with this. This is probably just me pulling stuff out of my butt, but maybe a little Indy Chavez on him. Maybe he could be kind of an Indy Chavez <laughs> or Gregor Blanco type, useful like fourth yeah. outfielder on a good team. Maybe starts in a bad team. Like, and you know, the Royals control him for like five, like six years, right? He have six years of service time. So the Royals. I mean, he could conceivably be a third, fourth out, fifth outfielder when this team gets competitive again. So he's definitely a nice piece to have, whether he sticks as an everyday player. I mean, I think he can certainly has the tools to be a, a, a backup, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's better at this yeah. point than Abraham Almonte or Paulo Orlando, who was DA, who were not DFA, but sent to Omaha yesterday. Paulo sent to Omaha, not DFA. I wanted to make sure I clarify that. So next, next, Jay, a couple more things to talk about. Trade pieces. So 
Correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably only two more guys likely to be traded. When I say likely, I mean better than 50-50. Would you agree Moose and Duda, the only two yep. likely trade pieces? Yep, yep. I mean, there's obviously other guys that I think they, that they would listen on, but they would have to be blown away by someone who's got, you've got control over, like Salvi or Witt. But I think Duda and Moose are definitely gone by the deadline. So what do you think on Moose? Is Moose going to get them... One prospect, like maybe one lottery ticket and one prospect. I mean, Herrera got us two and one, basically. Do you get one pro- one legit, you know, number 10 to 15 type um, organizational prospect from somebody in, in a lottery ticket? Is that what you expect from Moose, you know, knowing what Herrera got you? Yeah, that's what I would guess. He's not going to quite get the return that Herrera got. Um, you know, but it also comes down to, with Moose, I think it comes down to if there's a team that's just desperate or not by the deadline because you never know if someone goes down with injury. Maybe a team that's willing to give up more, but yeah, that's about what I would expect from Mustakas. I think he's one that will be here till at least the last week before the deadline. I think at this point, Dayton's not going to trade anybody else unless he's blown away, like, like you said. I mean, the Royals have kind of given away the two pieces that maybe they were selling high on because John Jay had got him that monster May, one of the best Mays in Royals history, hitting wise. <laughs> after we just kind of you know talked about how bad his ISO was in early May, I and mean, he just went out and you know yep. got it, hit every bat it seemed like turned into Mike Trout minus the power, but. You know, so they kind of sold high on him, which I think was smart. And then same with Herrera. You know, he's, there's no way he was going to keep up what he was doing no. at, at that level. Um, so, but, you know, otherwise, Moose is not really – you're not selling high on him right now. He's been struggling. Like you said, you know, somebody – you're not going to expect a huge return anyway, so you kind of want to wait till the last second and milk all you can out of him. Same with Dude. It just came out the DL. It was nice to see him hit another home run today off of Garrett Cole. He's owned him in his career. That'll help out a little bit. Teams, you know, looking for a legit – you know, lefty out the bench, maybe a contender would like somebody like him or, or somebody that has an injury and a pinch. I think for Duda, Jake, you get a, just a lottery ticket. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, but, again, you'll want to be out there rooting every day for him and Moustakis right now to right. get hot. Right. The hotter those two get over the next month, the better return that's coming. I think, like you mentioned, Merrifield and uh, and Salvi, I think those are doubtful. Twenty percent. I think Witt's like 25% traded. Salvi's like 2% traded. Uh, I think those guys and, and Duffy are much more likely to go in, in the winter time than they are during the season. And then a couple other names, Jake. I think Ian Kennedy would be a candidate if, if he had one last year left in his deal. I think I just think two two and a half years is going to scare people off. If it was one and a half, I think you could trade him. But I think that extra yeah. year, you're not going to get anything. So I think he stays. The other two I wanted to ask you about that are both done after this year, Jason Hamill possibly get you a lottery ticket from I mean remember when the Royals were fringe contenders back in the day like 03 they'd pick up like Graham Lloyd and Al Levine and you know and even like you know recently like Josh Willingham and those guys I mean couldn't Jason Hamill go to a team like Pittsburgh or somebody that's like a fringe contender yeah I think so I mean obviously today's outing was not a good showcase but other than that he hasn't been bad lately and I, I think if you can if he can string together a good next month especially I think you could probably get at least something for him <laughs> and then the other name i was going to bring up that nobody's ever brought up outside chance just because he's got plenty of experience he's a great clubhouse guy he can call a great game does drew butera have any possible value if somebody needs a backup catcher or am i reaching there i would be surprised but i i, I mean it, i think if someone's catcher especially if someone like someone's catcher goes down right before the deadline i think that's what would trigger it somebody's backup or someone's primary catcher would have to go down and they'd have to be in a pinch to go after him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like extremely doubtful because there's, it's yeah. not, I mean, he's not even amongst the best backups in the game at this point. I, I would actually call him a below average backup catcher. He's not, you know, defensively, we haven't seen a lot the last year, but anyway, I digress. But okay. So next Jake, 
Couple more things. Wow, some more news here. So much news. Alcides Escobar, the streak at shortstop is over, but of course the streak is still going <laughs> overall. I believe we're at 410 games now, but shortstop snapped after 407 starts in a row. Jake, will he ever, as far as long as Ned Yost is managing, will he sit a game? Will he not start a game this season? I mean, you have to admit, this is getting pretty... Like, I just told you he's second all-time Royals history in hits in postseason. But this is, I mean, there comes a point where it's 2018. I mean, we're not 2015. <laughs> and there comes a point where Mondesi needs to be playing for, I, I get that he's injury prone. I get that. But he needs to be playing at least five days a week, right? I mean, you want Witt out there always. Yep. You want Herrera. When Bonifacio comes back, you can't be dilly-dallying with Escobar in center field because you're going to have Gordon. You're going to have Herrera. You're going to have Bonifacio. So your outfield's taken. You're going to have... Moose at third for at least the time being. You want Dozier getting ABs, you, you know, Duda, um, Merrifield, you know, and Mondesi. So surely he's going to have to not start some games this year, right? I mean, what, honestly, I'm, I'm being serious. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to end here at some point as soon as Ned's done being stubborn about it. Right. <laughs> it, it has to because if, if you're going to have Mondesi up, he needs to be in the lineup basically every day, maybe one day off a week. But you've got to see what you have in him and get him used to having everyday big league at bats. So he needs to be in the lineup. So maybe they're going to wait till after the deadline. I, I don't know. And just but Escobar cannot be out there short every day. They need modesty to get some work there. And I I don't understand. You know the streak's been fun, but it, well, it's got to end here. Some Jake, point. here's the deal: the, the streak was. It's not like he's Cal Ripken. I mean, like well, the yeah, streak. He's not going to make it there. The, the thing about the streak was exactly. There's no. There's no. He can't catch anybody. He owns the Royal streak. That he's not catching them. There's. There's no reason to keep this going at this point. And anyway, it's a. It's a me. It's. It's a forced streak by Ned Yost. I mean, how yeah. many times do we see Whit Merrifield? I think he's already had five or six games off this year. Like, and he plays just oh, yeah. just as demanding of a position, if not more demanding, because he's always moving around the field. He's running more on the bases. I mean, why does everybody else need days off? But I mean, the guy's hitting two oh four with the second worst OPS plus behind Chris Davis in the entire major leagues like he does, he hasn't earned these these starts at this point I mean you know what I'm saying I, I just don't understand why they force this down people's throat uh, yeah I, I don't get it either especially you know with with the way this team is I, it doesn't make any sense that he's out there playing because there's no reason to even continue this streak I mean it's not like no. he's gonna catch anyone like you said so it, it should have it should have ended in 2016. Right? I mean, I was okay yeah. with it, like, 2014, 2015, like, maybe 2016. Yeah. But the last two years, I mean, you haven't even been in it. Right? No. <laughs> yeah, it was great that he was durable when the team was really good. But, you know, now it, it doesn't matter. And anymore. maybe he would have been a lot better the last couple of years hitting if he – I mean, who knows? In fairness yeah, to him – Yeah, maybe if he got a day off every right. once in a while. In fairness to Eski, <laughs> I mean, he's almost 32. Maybe if he, you know, got, let's say, even one day off every two weeks, maybe that would make a world of difference and help him out a little bit with his offensive production. Yeah, you know? get, get his legs back underneath him. Man, all right. I got a little worked up there, Jake. I I, apparently, I needed to talk about that. I didn't realize I was had pent-up anger about that, but apparently I do. So there we go. I found did something you, out. Did you enjoy him calling that ball in center field as much as I did on the first fly ball the other night? Yes. Yes. <laughs> when there was no one within 200 feet of him. <laughs> that was pretty good, man. That was pretty good. I love Eski. You know, he's a, he's a surefire Royals Hall favorite. I, I'm not trying to hate the guy. I love him. I love what he's done for the organization. But it is, it is 2018, that era – is unfortunately over, and it's time to start moving towards the next one. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, and, you know, I love – it's too bad, Jake. Like, I would want him back as a utility player for another year or two, but I don't trust Ned Yost, so I don't even want him on the – I just don't want him on the no. roster anymore because I don't trust Ned Yost. No. 
Like he, <laughs> no, we he, don't he want loves him so much. He has to play player, him. He'll somehow be in the lineup every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that'll start the new thing, you know. You know that we've seen Tampa do, and some other teams have the you know the reliever start one inning and then change based on the lineup to try to mow down the righties at the top of the order with Ramos. <laughs> All of a sudden, we'll like. Start Esky one inning and then take him out. It'll be some new, you know, new thing the Royals try to do to get him in the lineup every day. <laughs> yep. Oh goodness. Anyway, all right. So, uh, Alberto Mondesi, Jake. One thing, I damn it. That's the one thing I forgot to write down. I did all this prep tonight and I forgot one thing. He, you know, his exit velocity, like when he actually makes contact in the majors, he's had like three of the top twenty hardest hit balls this year in the MLB. Did you know that already? I didn't, but I know the swing looks good. Yeah, I mean, he hits the ball hard, so just yeah. for the reason we need to see him in there. And, and I get it, he needs to stay healthy, but, you know, get him out there every day and let's see what we got, you know. so Because they do have some, some you know, Nicky Lopez is on the way, and you got Witt. I mean, you, you, I don't want to say you have a log jam because you don't, but, you've, you know, Humberto Artiega is looking good down in the minors. Some like Jack Lopez, I read good things about him. And you had some of these other guys they've added in trades, Mejia last winter, on and on. So they've got, you know, Ramon Torres. They've got some decent guys up the middle. So at some point, you guys get him out there and see what you have, you know? So that's, that's all we're saying here. Yep. Okay, Jake, last thing tonight. How many games will the 2018 Kansas City Royals lose? Let's give you some numbers. Right now, they're pacing. At this moment, they're pacing to go 49 and 113. How many games will this team lose, knowing what you know right now? Knowing that Solaire's done till August or after, knowing that you get Bonifacio back in about a month or three weeks, knowing that Kelvin Herrera's gone, knowing that um, Moose is probably gone in about three weeks, Duda's probably gone. Uh, okay, so knowing all that and knowing where they're at in the standings, knowing that they also have a lot of games left against the White Sox, who are just about as bad as they are, where do they end up record-wise, Jake? 49 and 113 is the pace. How many losses are they going to have? I'm going to go with 110. 110. That's what I'm going to guess. So yeah. you, you think 100 is like a lock at this point? Absolutely. I think it is, I too. I would be shocked if they don't lose 100. I mean, just look at this upcoming week. You've got Seattle for three, and, and you've got the Angels. And, I mean, it's a tough trip coming up, right? I mean, even when you, oh, come, yeah. when you come home, you got the Red Sox. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of losses left in the next few weeks. And then, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, Cleveland's going to be in, – and Minnesota are going to be making a run at it. And Detroit, even, I guess, at the end of the year, they're going to want to load up on the Royals, get, get hungry on the Royals, or get, get fed at whatever the hell the term is, get fat. That's what, that's what I was trying to say there. So 110, you say. You remember, Jake, when you and I both thought I said 75 wins, you said 74. That was a funny day. Remember that one? Yeah, it was a different time. Back in March 20th when we thought Nate Carnes was going to be healthy before Salvi screwed up his legs walking up the stairs. Oh, those were the days before we yeah. found out the bullpen was going to turn into a launching pad. And, man. <laughs> Everything that can go wrong has pretty yeah. much. That was adorable, Jake. We were really cute that day, both of us, i got to say. so. <laughs> anything else you want to add? Is there anything else we didn't cover that you want to talk about here? Nope. I, I will say I, I, I am – I just – the main thing I want to see out of the rest of the year is just see guys like Herrera, Dozier, Monacy in the lineup every day because these big league at-bats this season are important for him. Like, yeah. I – you know, Hunter Dozer, I know he hasn't been extremely impressive, but he's hit, he's been hitting some balls hard and showing off a little bit of power since he's been called up. So I, I want to continue to see him in the lineup every day throughout the rest of the season as well. One other, and I'm looking forward to seeing Bonifacio the rest yeah, of the year yeah. once he's back. One other question I should ask you, and this is a serious question too. As a fan, and I know fandom is everybody you know is their own fan, and that's what's beautiful about sports. You can be a fan however you want to be a fan. Jake, where is the line between hoping – 
for the number one pick? I mean, because let's be like being serious. Let's be serious for a second. If you're gonna lose 103, why not lose 111 and get the number one pick versus the number three pick, right? I mean, like, at what point is it okay to not be upset when they lose, or to just almost? I don't want to say hope they lose, but I almost want to say hope they lose. <laughs> so, and, and where are you at on that? And how do you approach that as a fan? What's the proper way, Jake? I don't know. I mean, I, I want the number one pick, so that's kind of the I way I'm do, at I kind of do too. Right? I, I want to see like it's almost a perfect night when you see a guy a guy like Brad Keller, you know, perform well for five or six innings, but then you lose a close game. Right. Like that's all. Or Ian Kennedy is, the other night. That's, you know, the end result of the game is not really what I'm even looking at anymore. I'm looking, you know, at these younger guys to see how they're performing in the game because that's what the future is. And, yeah. you know, it'll play out. We'll, we'll see because Baltimore and Chicago are both – it's amazing. There's three teams that are 30 games under 500 already. <sighs> that's incredible. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, the number one pick would be nice. I mean, it, it would it would be nice. If you're going to lose 100 games or 95 games, you might as well lose 110, 115 and get that first pick. And this is the only year – Maybe next year. We talked about the process of a rebuild, how the first one to two years suck. And we're in year one right now. And there might be one more. You almost need the number one or two pick for two years, right? And then, like, two years from now, okay, here's the deal. Once we have Gutierrez up here and and we start getting Prado up here, and Matias, who, by the way, hit his 24th jack today and leads all of baseball, not just the minor leagues now in home runs. But once these guys start coming up and Stamont and and your college guys you pick this year and on and on, then you want to see them start winning and get better as the year goes on, right? Because you want to see them, you know, obviously they've got to develop and mature, learn how to win together, take their lumps. But right now... How many guys in this roster, Jake, realistically are going to be here in 2021 or 2022? Five or six? I mean, it's, so yeah. it's, it's like it really, yeah, doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter if they win. Like no. it's, it's almost better if they don't get the prospects and then in 20, maybe next year, but for sure in 2020, you start winning. You know, pushed 500 in 2020, 2021, and really compete by 2021, 2022. Is that kind of what, the way you look at it, too? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, next year is going to be another rough one, but... At least next year, I think you're going to see more more younger guys on the team than you are. What you know, there's still going to be some guys who you pick up on one year deals. And we're going to know who you're hoping to flip. We're going to know but, who our prospects are because we're not we're not going to yeah. have mad pieces to trade next year, right? I mean, we're not going to have too many guys. We're not going to be very active at the deadline next year. So our farm system, as far as trades go, will be pretty much done by spring training. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a good shot either Duffy, Salvi, or Witt. I think one of the three almost certainly will get traded this winter. So by the time we go to spring training next year. You're not going to probably make any more trades, and you're not going to have that many draft picks. You're not going to you're not you're not going to be losing Type A free agents. The Royals won't have any this winter, so they're not going to they're only going to have the standard one pick around next year. So really, by this time next year, we're going to know who all the next wave is, right? I mean, we finally now have names for them. We know who about three fourths of them are now, but I think a year from now we're going to pretty much know what the next core is and all their names, and we'll be able to follow them. And I think it'll be a lot more enjoyable, right? Yeah, it should it should be exciting next year. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well. All right, Jake. Well, let's make each other a promise. You know, hopefully my dad will do a little bit better, and hopefully, you know, you're done looking at puppies for a while. And we'll, let's try to get back on our on our weekly, or at worst, biweekly Royals chats here on Clubhouse Conversation. Deal? Yep, that sounds good to me. That's Clubhouse Conversation Insider Jake Lutz. I'm Dave. I appreciate you listening. We do have more current Royals interviews coming up here on Clubhouse Conversation throughout the season, and then former player interviews throughout the off season as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Royals Clubhouse. We're on Facebook Clubhouse Conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes here through the site. Jacob, have a great night. We'll talk soon. Go Royals.